Welcome in everyone to Scoop Du Jour. I'm Jordan Black. My second sports anchoring job was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, home of the Arkansas Razorbacks, where the fandom for the red and white runs so deep. And when Arkansas advanced to its second Elite Eight, second consecutive Elite Eight, and the Hogs were gearing up to play Duke out in San Francisco, I was introduced formally to Scotty Thurman, who many know as the guy who hit the shot in the 1994 National Championship against Duke. What you also probably know is that Arkansas went on to win that game in Charlotte against the Blue Devils, uh, 76-72 win there, and it was known as the shot heard round Arkansas, um, an iconic three-pointer from the, the Rustin Rifle, as he's known uh, native of Ruston, Louisiana. And um, I'm so honored to have Scotty Thurman as the guest on today's show. Um, so as I mentioned, was introduced formally to Scotty during my time in Arkansas. He is now a high school basketball coach, but a legend in the state of Arkansas and in the college basketball landscape. One of those shining moments in college basketball, as it's known. And um, so in this week's episode, he recaps the shot, but that whole season and his career with the Arkansas Razorbacks, what it was like to play under Nolan Richards and why he really wanted to play under Nolan Richardson, one of the great college basketball coaches who I also had the honor of meeting. So we got to uh, talk about him and what it was like to coach, uh, to play for him and then to coach at the University of Arkansas. So he talks about his coaching career. He talks about what it was like to go undrafted when he thought he would. Um, and he talks about his family, a family full of athletes. Um, and he talks about his love for Arkansas. So a really great episode, as I say, every week, um, one that I'm excited to share with you. If you like this episode and if you like other episodes of Scoop Du Jour, I encourage you to like, rate, subscribe, review, all the things, share with your friends, um, and please come back for more episodes. So enjoy sharing all of these with you. Without further ado, here is this week's episode with Scotty Thurman. <laughs> Alrighty, welcome into Scoop Du Jour, Scotty Thurman, former Arkansas Razorback. So many people know you for uh, the shot heard around Arkansas. I think people now call it the shot heard around the world um, from the 1994 National Championship, but former professional basketball player, played overseas, and current coach. You just came from practice. Thanks for being here, Coach Thurman. Um, so good to have you. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, really excited to join your show. I see that you're expanding your horizons in this media uh, world. And so I'm very impressed with the work you're doing. Oh, well, that means a lot to me. It's so nice we were catching up because the last time you and I talked, we have a nice connection now because we, we'll get get into this. Um, you know, when you and your team, the Arkansas team beat Duke, you had a great reason to beat Duke. Now you have another reason because the last time we talked, we were just catching up about this. You and your daughter were on this visit to see if she wanted to go to Chapel Hill and, and pursue her athletic career. Now she's there. So let's start with family. She is a volleyball player um, at UNC. And I just love that because I love a double reason to hate on Duke. How's that for you? Uh, it's working out pretty well. Uh, looking forward to what the season will bring, you know, once that comp competition takes place. Uh, but really have gotten the opportunity to travel up there several times and kind of get to know the little land, so to speak. And uh, to just kind of realize the, the hatred with the fan base. And so I'm looking forward to 
immersing myself in that along with my wife and supporting my daughter as we, you know, cheer them on versus Duke each and every time they, they play. You, you will learn it um, as soon as you're there. It's funny when I visited for the first time, I think is like not even a prospective student. I was like visiting all the colleges and we were in the bookstore and I have the book today, but my dad pointed it out um, to hate like this is to be happy forever. And <laughs> it, it is so true because this rivalry is so strong. So I'm so excited for her to experience it, which kind of brings us to to being here today. And we'll, of course, get to, to 94. But let's let's bring it back before we bring it forward. Um, it, when I, you and I, we, we talk on Twitter and your your handle on Twitter is Rustin Rifle. So you grew up in Rustin, Louisiana. And from what I understand, you had narrowed down your college choices to three choices, but you kind of had maybe a pact, if you will, with another eventual teammate of yours that you two wanted to to play together in college. Walk us through how you ended up at Arkansas. Well, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, the gentleman that you're talking about is Cordis Williamson, uh, former Razorback great and Arkansas legend, not just in, in college, but also in high school. And so when he was being recruited, you know, he was very highly rated and, you know, everybody was after him. And I had the opportunity to participate against him uh, in Jonesboro, Arkansas, when we were both rising seniors. And um, it was there we kind of established a friendship, you know, got each other's phone number and had the opportunity to sit in ACT prep courses, which was a big thing back then with AAU basketball. And so got a chance to interact with him a few times there. And so we just stayed in contact. And so when I started narrowing down my choices, um, Arkansas was obviously, you know, one of the top schools that I wanted to take a visit to. And so when I left that visit, you know, he had already taken his visit, I think, a few weeks prior. And so we had a conversation about, you know, what it would be like to maybe play together to Arkansas. And, you know, he just kind of said, hey, are you really considering going there? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, if, you're, if you go, then I'll go. And so, you know, needless to say, you know, the rest has been history since then. But I think it was just more of a conversation, not really knowing what to expect, us really trying to maybe go somewhere and have someone that we did know uh, going through the same thing. So, you know, fortunately for us, it worked out for both of us and we were able to uh, be national champions. Yeah. And one of the other things I think I, I read or heard too was you obviously played for this legendary coach, Nolan Richardson, which we'll, we'll heavily get into too. But I think I heard that it was important for you or you wanted to, to play for a, 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 an African-American coach, a black coach. Um, why was that important to you? And, and Coach Richardson, the first black coach in the South, he paved ways and that he made ways. Um, talk about why that was important for you and, and why you wanted to play for Coach Richardson. Well, it was important for me for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I grew up in Russell, Louisiana, which is back when I was growing up. Obviously, it was a predominantly white town. And so, you know, I had my experiences on both sides of it. You know, I've got black and white friends. And so for me, I never really saw color. It was more just about having friends and being able to interact, whether that was in the classroom or, or games. And so, you know, it was kind of for me, a learning experience and when I, when I got a chance and then we had the in-home visit and uh, my father and Coach Richardson had an opportunity to interact and it wasn't really until the end that I kind of saw some similarities in terms of you know their humor, uh, their attitude towards you know doing the right thing and then ultimately just making sure that you're always respectful and maintaining your grades and so it was during that visit that I realized like hey this may be kind of you know someone I need to consider playing for just due to the fact that it will be very comparable to how I was brought up, you know, with my father being there and trying to steal the same things. And so 
when I took my visits, you know, I had an opportunity to take visits and, and, and got a chance to visit Oklahoma with Billy Tubbs, got an opportunity to visit Pittsburgh with Paul Evans. And then I had Texas and Stanford on the list, which Stanford had Mike Montgomery at the time and Texas yeah. had Tommy Penders. And so one of the things that stood out to me was that I had an African-American coach in the group of coaches that I was considering. And so when I started looking at the factors of terms of what I wanted in a coach and what I wanted to have the opportunity to play for, not only was Coach Richardson black, but he was also speaking the same language that I had heard growing up. And the discipline was was the same, which was important to my family and I, which you know, was something that you always, when you go off to college, you want to make sure your kids have someone who's going to not only watch over them, but be able to reprimand or you know, get them to act right. And I wanted to be someone that, that could be held accountable. And I felt like Coach Richardson was the right choice. When you talk about discipline, that's kind of the staple that what Coach Richardson was known for. Um, when you first started on in your first practices with him, what was it like? Um, everyone always talks about 40 minutes of hell. I feel like that's probably the first thing you're always asked about. Well, maybe the second, because you're probably always right. asked about the shot. Um, yeah. <laughs> what are you what what was your favorite thing about playing for Coach Richardson? Uh, my favorite thing was just about the attitude, you know, the always being counted out, always being against, no one really having the belief that you can accomplish great things. And so he was able to turn that into what he called a chip on our shoulder. And so for us, that was always us against the world mentality, which was kind of our moniker when we, we won the national championship. But it's also been a moniker that I've adopted throughout my life, you know, to just kind of have that competitive edge and feels like, you know, no one really expects you to do certain things and then you set out a goal to accomplish it and you work hard towards it and then when you're able to accomplish it you know so proud of that fact to be able to not only accomplish the goal but to be able to you know maybe hush the naysayers and so um that was one thing that i really really liked about coach was that it was always him against the world even when we won the national championship he still was not full and so we were able to go back that following year and make it back to the elite eight which was a great accomplishment at the time you know but obviously when you're coming off of winning it that's the only feeling, you know, you can really remember and, and get used to. He was kind of known for like how tough his practices were that like he was like games were fun. Was it right. equally as fun when you made it to the tournament in 93, 94 that season? Was it still fun when you are playing with such high stakes, I guess? Well, it was definitely fun uh, because of the way we played. You know, our style of play was very fast and frenetic. And so, you know, we wanted to get out and get in transition and play an exciting brand of basketball, you know, sharing the basketball, highlight plays, uh, you know, long threes. Coach allowed myself and Alex Dillard and other guys who had deep range to take those shots. And so the way that we practiced was so frantic and so fast and so intense that when we got to the games, the pace was always slower. And so other teams would always be more fatigued than what we were, especially early in the game. And that's usually when we were able to go on our runs and realize that that team was maybe not a match for us at that particular night. You were talking about kind of hushing the naysayers too. And so um, maybe take us through that that season and and kind of up until the championship kind of getting there. Um, Everyone counted you out. And I remember a story he told me or you told me. I had the the privilege, um, and it's one of my cherished memories of being in Arkansas, of interviewing Coach Richardson at his house, um, which I'm sure you're, 
you've been to many a time, but the kind of story of, of that season and um, just kind of getting getting to that point, walk us through there and and getting to that point and kind of what, what it was like. Well, the biggest thing about that season, I think that a lot of people tend to overlook is, you know, we were able to kind of rewrite history, so to speak, because if you think about it, my freshman year, coming in with Corliss and really the same class, Dwight Stewart, those guys were sophomores having, having set out coming from junior college in South Plains. So Dwight Stewart and Corey Beck were there. Uh, Clint McDaniel was already there. Uh, Alex Diller came in. Roger Crawford was there as part of my class, although he was a junior college guy. But when we came in, nobody really thought we were really that good because if you look at it, Todd Day and that group who had just left, they finished top 10 in the country. And all of a sudden, preseason, my freshman year, we ranked number 46 in the country. And so we wound up having a good season that season. I think we went 22 and eight, I think, and we're able to make the Sweet 16 and we lose to the eventual national champion, North Carolina Tar Heels. And so when we lose that game, our biggest thing was we felt like we just needed a few more pieces, which was size. And so on the way back, you know, it was one of the things that myself and Corey Beck was talking to Coach Richardson about was we just needed two bigger guys. We need, you know, we need to get some size. And so to his credit, he and Coach Anderson and Coach Dunn, those guys went out and they signed Darnell Robinson, who was 6'11", McDonald's All-American from Oakland, California. And then they signed Lee Wilson, 6'11", a big physical guy from Waco, Texas. And so now we have the size. And then we come back that season, which if you think about it, was not even a full calendar year. You go from being ranked 46 preseason, finished in the top 10, 15 maybe, and then you start off the next season, which was the year that we eventually won it, as number one in the country preseason. Same team, same group of guys, just addition of two. And so when you talk about public perception and people having opinions of you, you're thinking, how do we go from being 46 at two pieces to now you're number one? Well, the story continues is that that season, even while we were ranked number one, probably more than any other team in the country, I think it was us, Duke, and I want to say maybe Arizona, that were all flirting with number one pretty much throughout the course of the season. And so when we got to you know, the tournament, well, the regular season first, we, we didn't have many mishaps. I think we got beat at Ole Miss. We were number one in the country. They rushed the floor on us. That was a humbling moment. Oh. And so then we go and we play uh, Kentucky in the ACC tournament, which was been the semifinals that year, and they beat us. And so now here we are like, man, you know, we can't be beat. We've got to be able to, you know, really lock in. And so going into the tournament, we just felt like we just had to focus there for six games. And that was coach's deal. Six games. You got six games to win it. We had won. I think the most we had won that season so far in a row was like 23, 24, oh. something like that. And so we were like, we won 24, surely we can win six. And so that was our mindset was that, you know, even the games that we lost, we never felt like we weren't the best team. We just felt like we maybe not had the best mindset. And so going into the final four, you know, you get Arizona, obviously top tier team. You're playing against Damon Stoudemire, Khalil Reeves, that backcourt. And I mean, no one really expects us to do very well against them. Yeah. We beat them. 
So the next game you're playing against, obviously, Duke with Grant Hill and Jeff Cable and Chris Collins and Eric Meek and Cherokee Parks and Antonio Lang. I think they had those three guys had with, with, with Parks, uh, Lang, and Hill. I think they had all been to, I want to say, three Final Fours already. Oh, my gosh. And so they had the benefit of the doubt in terms of experience. We were in their home state, North Carolina. They had the most fans. And then – on the day of shoot around, the day of the championship game, we get to the gym and somehow there was a mix up with our shoot around times. And so normally Coach Richmond would always give us a few minutes to kind of, you know, hang around the locker room, maybe yeah. listen to some music and get yourself going before you got on the floor. And so you had 45 minutes. That was the only time you got. Well, by the time that I made it out on the floor, it was like three minutes on the clock. And so they were saying that they weren't going to reset the time. That's all we had. And so we really didn't get a shoot around. And so for us, it was just kind of like we just hoisted up a few shots and uh, buzzer goes off. Hey, go eat pregame meal. You know, take a nap in the shower and get ready for the game. And so our whole mindset after Coach Richardson had kind of instilled in us, it was us against the world. Nobody believed we could beat Duke in North Carolina. And when we don't have the proper shoot around time, we felt like everybody was against us. And so coach was livid, obviously. And, you know, he just kind of instilled in us that, hey, these are the types of things that I'm talking about. No <laughs> one really wants us to and everyone kind of is setting us up to fail. And so for us, we just use it as ammunition. And fortunately, you know, we're able to go out and get it done. Uh, how did it even get mixed up? I mean, to this day, no one knows. But you used it as fuel, right? Use it as fuel. Yep. Okay. So that game, it looked it kind of back and forth-ish. You're up by one at the half. Right. And then take us through. I I love hearing um the mo I think you know everyone thinks about the moment after, but can you kind of recall from your your memory? Do you remember what it was like? in the very moment of, of the shot heard around Arkansas, I've always heard the the call of the shot, but from your point of view, what was it like doing it, physically doing doing that thing? Well, obviously for me as, a, as an individual, it was kind of surreal because growing up watching so many NCAA tournaments and emulating so many different players, you know, you, everybody goes through the five, four, three, two, one, and then you get a chance to take a shot and, you know, you make it or you miss it at the buzzer. And that was kind of the deal. So for me, I'd emulated so many guys before me that had the opportunity to take big shots that I felt like I was kind of prepared for it. Although if you go back and you look at that particular play, it was not designed for me to get that shot. Actually, we were trying to throw the ball in the coolest. And what happened was he had a guy in front of him and then he had Grant Hill behind him, so they couldn't throw it in directly. And so Corey drove baseline, and he threw the ball out to the top of the key to Dwight Stewart, who, in my opinion, is, was one of our best three-point shooters, even though he was a big. And so when he threw it to him, I had kind of ducked behind off the right wing behind Antonio Lane, thinking that the shot was going to go up and trying to hopefully go and maybe get a rebound or something. And so Dwight bobbled the ball. And the moment I saw him bobble the ball, which I'd already peeped up at the shot clock when Corey went baseline, and I knew that if it does make it to me, 
I'm probably only going to have a second to get it off. And so he threw it to Corey, I mean, to Dwight. I looked up at the clock at the time he was throwing the pass, and I think it was like five. Dwight catches it. He bobbles it. And as soon as I see him bobble it, I ran back out to the right wing. Dwight throws it to me, and I just catch it and let it fly. And oh. fortunately, um, Antonio Lang, if you look at the picture, which there's several different photos of it, the main photo that you see in the Sports Illustrated, it shows that he was really contesting my shot and that he almost blocked it. But if you get the CBS picture, the ball was already gone because he was he had jumped and he was actually coming down as I was shooting up. And so he didn't get the opportunity to really touch it. And so I timed him perfectly, just kind of how he was jumping and I saw where he jumped from. And so he was landing pretty much in descent as I was letting the ball go. And fortunate for us, you know, it went in. Hog heaven. Hog heaven. <laughs> Before we get to what it was like after, um, I think when we were at Coach Richardson's house and recounting his incredible career, um, that being a tentpole moment, it's been asked to him many a times, but – he said to you, and he said, maybe you don't remember this, but he asked you, what would have happened if you'd missed the shot? Do you remember what you said to him? I think I said Corey would have got the rebound. Yeah. You got, he, <laughs> yeah, you were pretty confident that y'all would have made it no matter what. Like you right. weren't, you weren't going to lose the game and, and kind of just a testament to this team was going to fight back, come back, win no matter what. Um, and I forget his words. Like we, we would have got, we would have got the board. We would have put it back up. Um, and I just love that like attitude of we got this. Um, but it kind of just showed like your relationship too of, um, how confident he was in you, how, you know, how much he, um, kind of enjoyed coaching you too. And, um, kind of re really cool moment. Okay, so right after, I love that call. Arkansas in hog heaven. You beat Duke in Charlotte, which is really cool to do it in North Carolina. Right. Um, and then anytime Arkansas wins or doesn't win, the fans are really good because they come to to Drake Field, is it right? And cheer you on. And then like, is there a parade or like, what do you, what was it like, like right after? Well, the first thing I remembered right after was, you know, we went to the locker room, we celebrated, you know, mm -hmm. Bill Clinton was there. He had kind of followed us around quite a bit that season. Yeah, and talk so about that. There, Oliver. Well, you know, that was a that was a huge deal for, for us. Okay. So President um, Clinton was in office know, and he had just been the, I mean, obviously an Arkansas fan, but governor of Arkansas. So he'd come to a number of games, but he was at the championship too, right? Yes. Yes, he was at the championship game. And I mean, you know, for us, it was always a level of excitement just because here you are, you're the number one team in the country, got the president of the United States. Everybody kind of at that point, we thought kind of looked down on Arkansas as a state. And here we are, you know, at the top of the food chain. And so that was always a huge deal. And, and for us, too, I think one of the things that played a big factor was that we had already had him at several of our games. And so we were used to having to go through the metal detectors, having to do all of the different security things that you have to do, which a lot of teams had never really experienced that before. So that was a big deal. Um, but after the game, you know, he came into the locker room and that was a big deal. We all got a chance to kind of 
have our moment with him. And even though the uh, Secret Service was trying to get him to leave, he was still just as cordial and friendly as wow. just a regular person. And we really enjoyed that. And then we get on the bus back to the hotel. And when we go in the hotel, it's like thousands of fans in the hotel calling the hogs. And we have to walk through all these people to get to our rooms. And so we were like, man, these fans are crazy. So we stay up all night, obviously. Uh, Corliss and I had to do Roy Firestone the next morning, which that was a big deal when Roy Firestone had his show yeah. on ESPN. And so we got an opportunity to do that. And then we flew back uh, that next morning to Fayetteville. And when we landed at Drake Field, there was about four to 5,000 fans wow. that were basically out you know, on the perimeter of the landing zone. And when we landed and we had to go out there through all those fans, that's when I knew what people had always told me, which is Arkansas fans are crazy. <laughs> but I mean, no professional team. You're, right. as you know now, I mean, the only championships since, and there or there hasn't been one since, it was the first one. So right. you can imagine how, how significant it was. Um, it's just such a cool moment. And I'm for, for you, what sticks out to you, I'm sure is the national championship. Does anything else stick out to you from that time of like, um, maybe, um, a moment or a, a game or just like a, a learning from being from, from playing at the U of A? Well, there's a couple of things that, that really stick out to me about, you know, that team and, and, and that season. Uh, one thing in particular during that game, uh, there was a player by the name of Ken Biley, who was a senior. And Coach Richardson had a tradition that he started all seniors their last college game. And so obviously this wasn't just any game. And so Ken Bali hadn't played very much uh, leading up to that game. And coach had this tradition where he never let you know who was the starting lineup. You would go out, warm up, you come back, and then you go back out. And then when you came back, you would see who, you know, was in five. And so everybody looked and we saw Ken Bali. And the one thing that, that shocked me, because I always thought that somebody would maybe say, you know, why is he starting or, you know, he hasn't played. Is this a good decision on this particular game? Nobody said a word. Everybody just went along with it because, number one, we had to believe in Bali. And number two, we knew that he had paid his dues mm. in order to get there. Even though he didn't get an opportunity to play as much, he practiced. You know, he did everything that we did, conditioning, weights, and he was a leader in the locker room. And so when coach gave him that opportunity for me, that just showed the confidence the coach had in him, but it also forced us to make sure that we had that same type of confidence in him as well. And he actually went out and did a great job of guarding Grant Hill at the beginning of the game. Um, the, the other thing I, I learned during that season and, and really probably from my freshman year to the time we won the championship was how people can put out, you know, false narratives. And so there was a press conference that we were at and it was myself, it was Corliss, and it was Coach Richardson. And I remember a reporter saying, the smarter team is going to win the game. And so he never said who he thought the smarter team was, even though we knew what he was insinuating. And so Corliss mentioned to him, he said, hey, if you walk down in the alley and there's a 
big, strong guy that you think is a dummy, and there's a little bitty guy that looks very smart, who are you picking in a fight? And the guy said, probably the big, strong guy. And so everybody kind of laughed. And then I remember Coach Richardson saying something. I didn't get a chance to, to even really answer it, but Coach Richardson said something to the guy to the effect of, well, you got two guys here that are honor roll students. So when you make the statement about the smarter team, how do you know anything about these guys in terms of their academic prowess when you never really asked? And so that's when I just kind of knew how to be able to kind of navigate the media in a sense to where knowing there's a spin that can be put on it, even if it's not completely accurate. And so since we're doing this show, I would just like to go on record saying that I was an academic All-American. And so regardless of whoever that guy was that asked that question or whether someone went to Duke or Carolina, at the end of the day, I was still an academic All-American. There you go. That's important. And that's so in, that's such an interesting story because they'd never heard that one. Going back to um, the Ken Viley story and the starter, I'd never heard that. And I, I heard about Coach Knott um, announcing his starters, but it's so interesting that he gave him the opportunity in the biggest, the biggest time uh, where you are today. But right. you got there after – so 94 um, was the national championship, 95 – um, you go back, you guys go back to the championship game and walk us through post that season, you go back to play, um, and everyone touts you as a, a top pick and, and why not? Right. It doesn't pan out the way that you think. Walk us through that time. Uh, well, the, the year we went back in 95 to the final four, we lost to, uh, UCLA is hard for me to say still to this day. Uh, we, we, we lost to UCLA. And um, after that game, you know, I went back to school as normal. And my intention was to remain in school. And so back then, you know, it wasn't as opportunistic as it is now in terms of guys being able to go and work out for all these teams and sign with agents and do all these things and have the opportunity to go back to school. And so for me, you know, I had a couple of conversations with Coach Richardson and we talked to uh, several uh, teams and so I was told at the time that I would be a first round pick and so back then you know first round pick you're not talking about the hundreds of million dollars but you're still talking about what was considered you know to be you know astronomical amount of money you know especially for a kid from Louisiana and so you know I made the decision to leave and so when I made the decision to leave, my family and I, you know, we felt like everything was heading the right direction until draft night uh, when I didn't get drafted. And so I didn't get drafted, had the opportunity to go to Europe, decided against it at the time because I had my first child at the time. And so I didn't want to be that far away from him. And he was only months old. And so I wound up playing in the CBA in Shreveport, Louisiana. I started out um, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota with the Sioux Falls Sky Force and then uh, finished up in Louisiana. The next year I went to Europe. And so after I started going to Europe, you know, I would come home and I was always have the opportunity to go to summer league and NBA or, you know, go and work out for various teams, but I was always under contract. And so for me, I felt like if I had a guaranteed contract and I've already been gone from home eight months, 
why would I leave, you know, for the summer months when I could just spend time and join my family and know that I still have a job. And so you look up, you fast forward 11 years later and you've done 11 years and you're thinking that you have a chance to possibly, um, you know, go back to a team or what have you. But I just got that point. I got to the point where I was doing pretty well financially playing ball overseas and I had other things going on off the floor. And so I just kind of put that on the back burner, so to speak. And I really didn't pursue it anymore because I felt like I'd already kind of started to accomplish some of the things that I wanted to offer. offer And so fortunate for me, you know, growing up playing basketball, I've been a little bit different than most. I had the opportunity to be different. I should say, Um, you know, the term student athlete is used very loosely in today's game. Uh, But the way that I was brought up, that was what you had to be, which is student athlete. So when I didn't get drafted, even though I was traumatized, you know, for a little bit, I still knew I had my education. And so I went back and finished my degree and uh, wound up getting my master's in secondary education. And that's what led me to being able to work at Arkansas as director of student athlete development and be an assistant coach. And now fast forward, be the head coach of Parkview High School. Before we get into what you're doing now with coaching and, and what you what you did do at Arkansas, um, did anyone ever kind of walk you? It's hard when you're, I mean, 20, 21, and that's what you you see this future and that's what you think is going to happen. Did anyone ever walk you through like why you weren't picked up or or anything like that? Like, do you do you ever did you wonder why and how did you cope with it then? Well, when I was 20, no one really walked me through it. I mean, you know, you get all kind of different things that people say when they try to pick holes in your game as far as, you know, saying he's not very athletic or he's not very fast or what have you. But I've also had coaches that I've worked out for over teams, be it Sacramento Kings or or be it the New Jersey Nets teams that I've actually had the chance to participate with. And they've all said, hey, we thought you should have been picked at this even, you know, 10 years ago, you know. Um, and I bumped into people, you know, that I were, I was in camp with that would say the same thing. Like, man, I can't believe, you know, you didn't make this team. And so, you know, when I was younger, you know, obviously 20 years old, it's a struggle to be able to understand and process all that. But as you get older, you know, you realize that that's only a really a small part of life even though, you know, something didn't really go your way, that mean you can stop living. And so I just use it kind of as ammunition to be good at a lot of different things. And so I've been able to, because of that, expand my kind of uh, background and some of the things that I've been able to do because I didn't get the opportunity that some of the other guys did in terms of playing in the NBA. So while they were playing in the NBA, I was able to go and obtain a construction license, obtain a real estate license and, various things that I've been able to do throughout my career. And so it's really caused me to be more more well-rounded, but at the same time, hold me to my roots because that's who my parents raised me to be, which is not just be an athlete. And so I look at it at this point in my life like that, like, you know, it, it worked out for the best and I'm in the best situation. But obviously at 20 years old, that's not the way you're thinking. Your perspective changes um, yeah. as you get older for all of us, I think. What was it like when you went back to Arkansas to coach um, under Mike Anderson, too, who you played for and then you got to coach under? What was that full circle moment like? Well, my first year I was there with John Pelfrey, 
Oh, uh, yeah. Which was last year. So I went in director student athlete development. And, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a tough basketball season, but I really enjoyed working with Coach Pelfrey. And I learned a lot from he and Coach Rob Evans and Tom Ostrom, all the guys, Brett Nelson guys who were on that staff and had tons of experience. And then the next year, Coach Anderson came and it kind of fit like a glove because I kind of knew what he wanted, and, you know, and who he was. And so I was able to kind of adjust accordingly. And then I kind of had the the ends on some things that maybe he wasn't familiar with because he hadn't mm -hmm. been there in, in quite some time. So I think it was a perfect fit. And then to get the opportunity to work my way up and be, a you know, an assistant coach, you know, that was the ultimate feeling to be able to get on the floor and coach on the floor where you played. And so I definitely uh, enjoy that. And it's an opportunity that I've, I've always remained a priest of. Uh, and, um, you know, even when Coach Musk came, there was an opportunity for me to stay, but in a different capacity. And so okay. although a lot of people don't know that everyone think that I was just let go or I just left, that's not what happened. It was just a situation that didn't really fit for what I wanted to do at that point in my career. And so I just decided to move on because I felt like he had a plan in place for what he wanted to do. And I didn't want to come in and, and stop you know, his plan because of what it is I wanted to do. And at the same time, even though we're not working together, I'm still a hog. I'm always going to support the hogs and I'm, you know, I'm still in the state. Absolutely. Yeah. You're still in the state coaching high school. So talk about what your coaching philosophy is and how you kind of aim to mold the next young minds of, of basketball greats. I mean, it's still, it's still an old school feel to it. I mean, yeah. obviously you can't really get after kids nowadays like you could, you know, years ago. So, you know, you got to be, there's very, no 40 minutes of hell. Yeah, well, it may be, but, you know, it just can't be, you know, you can't, some of the things that you would say verbally, you can't really say anymore. Uh, some of the ways you would handle certain situations, you really have to kind of monitor and adjust. But as far as my my philosophy, is still the same, you know, work hard, play hard, but act right. And that's, I think that's pretty simple. You know, you work hard, you play hard, and you, and you act right. And what I mean by acting right is obviously being respectful, you know, making sure that you represent yourself, your parents, and the program the right way. And then when you're out there on the floor in practice, you know, you work extremely hard and you compete. And so what I try to do is make sure these guys are understanding that I'm not just a basketball coach. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. You know, I'm a former player. And so I try to be a mentor as best I can to them, although I know you know, it's hard for a 14-year-old kid to really want to confide, you know, in someone, you know, that's very much older than he is. But I also try to be that that bridge. You know, I realize sometimes kids are going through a lot these days. That's why there's so much uh, mental health awareness now. And so I try to be, you know, cognizant of that and, and know, you know, try to know the pulse of a guy that I'm dealing with. So I may have to coach him a little bit different today or for the next week or two until he gets through whatever it is he's going through. And then I also try to be, you know, someone that they feel comfortable going to um, because a lot of kids don't have anyone that they can go and just vent to or go and express things. To. And so I try to not only be their coach, but I try to wear, you know, a few hats. So, you know, I want them uncomfortable on the floor, but also understanding what it is I want from them off the floor and also understanding that at the end of the day, I'm here for you regardless. You know, I may have just been on you about a play, but if you really need me for something, I'm going to do what I can, you know, to try to try to help you out with it. You've mentioned your your family a few times and how much your parents helped guide what the way that you played and the way that you 
molded your professional career. And then of course your kids, athletes, and now you're, um, you have grandchildren. So kind of walk us through your family and what they're all doing now. And, um, maybe how I or excuse me, sports helped your family kind of just do all the things. Well, it's really funny. You mentioned that, uh, you know, sports has really been kind of the pillar, a pillar in, in my household since I was a little kid. And so I tried to make sure that I involved that in my household as well, because I believe sports teaches so much about life mm -hmm. and, you know, not just competition, but discipline waking up early like we practice sometime at six in the morning so kids got to get up and so they know that but they also got to go to bed and so there's a certain a certain discipline with that and so in my household you know my son who's no longer in my household but obviously was brought up in my household he's 28 now about to be 29 in a couple of weeks he works at the university of arkansas in right. compliance and so you know he was able to walk on there and play football earn the scholarship got his bachelor's and got his master's. And that's something that we're extremely proud of. And we're very happy that he's back close by, uh, mm -hmm. you know, work, working here in the state. So that's great because I get to see my grandboys who are actually here with me uh, right now. Um, you know, my daughter, obviously, we talked about earlier, uh, grew up in Northwest Arkansas, spent a little time in Little Rock when she was very young, uh, but got the opportunity to participate in track, dancing, karate, um, you name it, basketball, softball. And so she wound up picking uh, volleyball, which to our family is very new because there's no one in my family that's ever played volleyball, yeah. especially at the division one level. And so for my wife and I, it's been great because neither one of us played it, so we can't coach it. And so we get the opportunity to learn with her and grow with her. And it's just a fun time versus it being a situation where we're living on every play and what she should be doing, or we wish she would do this. We don't have to do that. We just get to sit in the stands and watch and cheer. And so it's so pure for our family. So it's been great. And then another athlete in my family that rarely gets talked about is my wife. Uh, my wife was a basketball player and a cheerleader in high school. Well, at the U of A, which is where we met, she was a palm and cheer squad member. And, and you so, met when she was cheering and you were playing? Correct. Love it. <laughs> correct. And so she's been, she's probably the most competitive person in our household, but people wouldn't think that because of her chosen profession. She's a, she's a medical doctor. So in her chosen profession, she doesn't have a lot of stature, although she is kind of built like a track runner. Uh, people don't really think that she's an athlete because they always think of me first and then my daughter, but they forget my son and also my wife were, were, were both athletes as well. Well, the most important question of this interview and the toughest, um, if Arkansas and Carolina were playing, who would you root for? What sport? Oh, okay. Um, well, you know, they've played in the tournament a few times. So in, bas <laughs> in basketball, I know what your answer is going to be. It, ha it has to be Arkansas, right? In any sport, there's only one sport that I'm going to root In volleyball, you would root against your daughter? No, 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 no. There's only there's only one sport that I would pull for North Carolina in. In volleyball. Versus, yeah, in volleyball. Okay. Any other sport, any other sport is go hog all day okay. long. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. We will, we will give that to you. Um, 
So yeah, everyone in your family has been a hog minus your daughter. And that's, you know what, it's what I always say is SEC and ACC, there were really rarely matchups until the postseason. So usually you're in the clear and you can right. fair and square root for both during the regular right. season, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Yeah. Right. I love right. it. Okay. So before we let you go, you offered some um, great advice um, earlier that I, I think we'll touch on, but what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received. Ooh, man, you're gonna make me think. Um, live every day like it's your last. And I think probably another one would be when you find something that you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. Those are good ones. Okay, so this actually is, I, I said that was the last question, but it isn't. And this is a good question I've been trying to ask people. If today, was your last day what would you want to be doing if today was my last day on earth yeah which god forbid but yeah if today was my last day i would probably like to have my siblings obviously my immediate family my wife and kids it's all at the house with me you know probably watching some sports and you know eating some food and more than likely drinking a cold beer sounds like the perfect day <laughs> Cheers to that. Um, this has been such a pleasure and um, always cheering for you, rooting for you and, and rooting for the heels, but hogs too. Heels and hogs, it kind of goes together. Um, thank you so much for your time and insight and um, lots of learning. So hope your team does well this season. Thank you so much um, and really enjoyed this. Thank you. I'm glad we were able to connect finally. Finally. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care.